0: Hello and welcome to that Year 11 Human Bio thing and in this podcast we'll be looking at blood and circulation. So if we think of a transport system we would probably think of how do you get from A to B. And that's exactly what's going on with our circulatory system. Really a substance is taken from one place in the body, A, to another place in the body, B. How does it get there? Well it requires a medium and that medium is blood and in that blood are a number of things and so the watery fluid that makes up the liquid part of blood is called plasma and inside of that there are various elements or um, components if we want to call them that and those components would include the leukocytes which are white blood cells, the erythrocytes, which are red blood cells, platelets or thrombocytes and these are small fragments of cell. And they carry out different functions, which we'll come on to. But also, uh, you need to move the blood around the body. So how does the blood get moved around the body? Well, the blood is moved around the body by a muscular pump. And for humans, that muscular pump is the heart. In fact, for most organisms, it's the heart. But the heart that we have is basically two pumps put together and the reason for that is it's what we call a double circulation a double circulatory system whereas other organisms may have a single circulatory system that means it passes through the heart once if it's single circulatory and unfortunately that means that blood is mixed with oxygenated and deoxygenated blood and it means that the pressure isn't as great and so the flow isn't as good or efficient and therefore the blood doesn't get to where it is needed as quick. However, this is not necessary in the organisms that have those systems. We have a double circulatory system, which means that blood passes through the heart twice For every circulation, it doesn't just pass through the heart twice. That would be disastrous because it would result in death pretty quickly if the blood only passed through our heart twice. But what we mean is it passes through the heart twice for each circulation once to the lungs, which is the pulmonary system, and once to the rest of the body, which is the systemic system. So what sort of substances are transported by the blood? Well, the plasma is a liquid and anything that is soluble can be transported in the plasma, including metabolic heat, but the main things that we talk about are things like glucose is transported, hormones are transported, waste products such as urea can be transported. Now, some oxygen and some carbon dioxide are transported in the are transported in the plasma, but that neither oxygen nor carbon dioxide is that soluble oxygen is less soluble than carbon dioxide so they have a different form of being transported around the body but suffice to say that these substances are transported to uh, one place in the body or so from one place in the body to another place for example glucose is transported from the small intestine to all the body cells carbon dioxide is transported from the weight, uh, from the cells to the lungs or for, to, if you want to be more precise, to the alveoli. Oxygen is transported from the alveoli of the lungs to all the body cells. Urea is transported and is uh, removed via the kidneys, so it's transported from all the cells or tissues and is removed via, it's filtered out, uh, originally removed, deamination occurs within the liver, but we'll come back to that, and it's filtered out in the um, kidneys, and that's where it's removed. And so you can see that the the plasma transports a lot of substances. What other? What is the role of the erythrocytes? Well, the erythrocytes' main role, and this is a key, its main role is to transport oxygen. Ninety-seven percent of oxygen is transported in the erythrocytes. Erythrocytes, mature erythrocytes, have no nucleus. There By which means two concave, which means it goes inwards by concave in shape, and what that means is it increases the surface area of the red blood cells in order to carry predominantly oxygen and When oxygen combines with a red blood cell, it combines with the hemoglobin, and four molecules of oxygen can be transported on hemoglobin, and so it forms a substance called oxyhemoglobin, so ninety seven per cent of oxygen is transported as oxyhemoglobin. Three percent, as I said before, oxygen is not solu- that soluble, so only three percent is dissolved in the plasma. So how is carbon dioxide transported? Eight percent of carbon dioxide, so a little bit more soluble than oxygen, is transported in the plasma. Twenty-two percent of carbon dioxide actually binds to the hemoglobin in erythrocytes to form carbine- carbamino hemoglobin. This is different when, from when carbo, carbon monoxide joins with haemoglobin because that forms carboxyhemoglobin and that's terribly bad because it has a greater affinity, a greater love than oxygen does. So if, you're, if you were in the UK, which you're not because we're in Australia, which is awesome, but if you're in the UK and the gas heater wasn't producing and, or taking in enough oxygen, it would release carbon monoxide, which is poisonous, you can't smell it, and it has a greater... Uh, affinity for hemoglobin, which means that it will join to hemoglobin instead of oxygen, and you'll be asphyxiated, and that's not good news. But we're talking about carbon dioxide, and carbon dioxide combines with hemoglobin to form carbamino hemoglobin 22%. Now, these percentages are very important, 70%. Is transported as hydrogen carbonate ions. Now your textbook calls it bicarbonate but if you're a chemist you'd call it hydrogen carbonate and that's better. And the equation is as follows. Carbon dioxide plus water gives carbonic acid which is H2CO3 which forms H plus ions and bicarbonate or hydrogen carbonate ions. The H plus ions and the hydrogen carbonate HCO3 minus. Now it is actually carbon dioxide which stimulates the brain to increase breathing more so than oxygen, because the we have chemoreceptors in different parts of our body, and we'll talk more. Well, you can listen to a Year Twelve podcast on this, but basically they are sensitive to acid and or pH changes in pH. So if you increase the acidity, if you increase the sorry, you decrease the pH by increasing the, the acidity, then you'll you'll body detects this and it increases your breathing rate in order to get rid of the carbon dioxide from the body and so carbon dioxide is transported in that way now what do we mean by oxygenated blood oxygenated blood means it has more oxygen in it so at the alveoli we take in oxygen and we remove carbon dioxide the blood that returns to the um, lungs is deoxygenated doesn't mean it hasn't got any oxygen what it means is it's been had oxygen removed if it didn't have any oxygen well when we carried out mouth-to-mouth resuscitation we wouldn't be able to breathe any oxygen into anybody else but we only actually use five percent of the oxygen that we breathe in of the 21 percent we breathe in so just to go through those figures again because they're important oxygen three percent is transported in the plasma 97 percent is as oxyhemoglobin. carbon dioxide is dissolved in the plasma, 22% as carbaminohemoglobin, in other words, attached to erythrocytes, and 70% as hydrogen carbonate ions. And I emphasise hydrogen carbonate ions. There's nothing wrong with writing bicarbonate. It's just not the word that we use anymore. We now come to the heart, which is the muscular pump that pumps blood around the body. The heart is made up of four chambers. The upper two chambers are known as atria, and the lower two chambers are known as ventricles. The heart is surrounded by a membrane known as the pericardium. The membrane is going around the outside, so it's peri. If you think of a perimeter fence, it goes around the outside of a house or it goes around the outside of a lawn, and so it's the perimeter, so it's peri. And because the heart muscle is made up of cardiac muscle, we call it the pericardium. So that's the name of the membrane. Now, the heart, as I said, is made up of two upper chambers, the atria, and blood is carried to the atria in veins. These are the blood vessels that carry blood to the heart. And so on the left-hand side, as you look at it, so in other words, to the right atrium, you have the vena cava, the great vein, and this carries blood from the superior, in the superior vena cava, which comes from the head, and the inferior vena cava, which comes from the rest of the body. And that blood is deoxygenated. On the right hand side of the diagram, as you look at it, so in other words to the left atrium, you have the pulmonary veins which carry blood from the lungs, and the blood in them is oxygenated. Now, an easy way to remember which side of the heart blood flows is Lord. Left oxygenated, right deoxygenated, Lord. And the blood that is pumped out of the heart out exits the heart through arteries. The blood that is deoxygenated on the left-hand side, as you look at it, but on the right, from the right right ventricle, is carried in the pulmonary artery to the lungs in order to pick up um, oxygen. And then the other artery is known as the aorta, which is basically large artery. Now you'll notice if you look at the diagram on the left ventricle, there is a thicker muscle than on the right ventricle. This is because the left ventricle pumps blood to the rest of the body and to the head and so this has to be thicker because the blood has to be transported along over long distances whereas the muscle on the right hand side or the left hand side as you look at it on the right ventricle is a lot smaller and that's because it's only pumping blood to the lungs which are either side of the heart and so that is the heart muscle. In the heart and in veins in general, but also definitely in the heart, you have these things called valves. Now valves allow or ensure that blood travels in one direction only, and they are basically flaps. And these flaps can uh, only open in one direction, whereas if they, if blood is goes the, the, in the opposite direction, the blood will collect behind the flaps and force them shut. And so we'll talk a little bit about that when we come to the cardiac cycle. But before that, I'll just say that between the atria and the ventricles are the atrioventricular valves. You might want to just make a note of uh, saying the left, the left atrioventricular valve and the right atrioventricular valves. You could know them as the bicuspid and tricuspid or the mitral valves. But the problem with that is that you may get confused over which one is on which side of the body. Whereas if you know it's atrio, which means from the atria and the ventricular Atrioventricular valves. Then you know it's between those uh, two parts of the heart. Now the valves that leave the heart, uh, that, which are found in the arteries, in other words, the pulmonary artery and the uh, and the aorta, I should say, are known as the semi-lunar valves. These semi-lunar valves are half moon shaped, hence their name. So, what is the cardiac cycle? The cardiac cycle or heartbeat. It's the sequence of events that occurs in one complete beat of the heart. And there are two stages. First of all, the heart is in a relaxed state known as the diastole stage, D-I-A-S-T-O-L-E. And for a short time, both the atria and the ventricles are in diastole. Now, During this phase, it's a bit like filling up a glass of water with water. Uh, it's basically relaxed, so what happens is the blood passes into the ventricles through the open atrioventricular valves and fills up the atria as well. But then, to remove the remaining amount of blood out of the atria, the atria contracts, and we call that the atrial systole, S-Y-S-T-O-L-E. So, systole is where they contract. And when that happens, it, it's effectively squeezing the blood out of the atria into the ventricles. Then immediately following this is the ventricular systole. And when the ventricles contract, they force blood out of the arteries. That's the pulmonary artery carrying the deoxygenated blood to the lungs and the aorta carrying the oxygenated blood to the rest of the body. And during that time, the atrioventricular valves will shut in order to ensure that blood does not pass back into the atria. So this ensures that blood passes in one direction only. Now the rate of blood flow depends on how fast the heart is beating and how much blood the heart pumps with each beat. And this is the cardiac output. So we can measure the cardiac output, which is the measure of the heart rate, which is the number of times the heart beats per minute, and the stroke volume, which is the volume of blood forced from a ventricle of the heart with each contraction. And if you multiply the stroke volume, which is measured in millilitres, by the heart rate, which is measured in beats per minute, you'll find out the cardiac output in millilitres per minute. As I've already indicated, arteries carry blood away from the heart, AA. Veins carry blood to the heart. And so what happens is the arteries are under high pressure They have a very thick elastic wall. There is some fibres in there, but it's very thick. And the central part, the tube that runs through the arteries, is very, very small. We call that the lumen, and it's a narrow lumen. So blood is under high pressure, and so as the blood passes through, it causes the walls of the artery to expand and recoil. And that gives a kind of beat or a, a pulse light action. So the pole is the basically is a reflection of the heartbeat. It's not the same as the heartbeat, but it's basically measuring the blood as it passes through an artery. And blood is under high pressure as I said, but the pressure gets lower and lower as the blood passes through the arteries to the rest of the body because it's meeting resistance from the wall at walls of the of the artery. And so uh, arteries are a similar size to veins. Veins carry blood back to the heart and they have uh, a wider lumen, so uh, and they're less elastic and more fibrous in nature, but they're about a similar size to one another. Now, arteries break down into smaller arteries, known as arterioles, and then veins break into small, or travelling to the veins are smaller veins, known as venules, V-E-N-U-L-E-S. Now, in between, in the organs, you also have, Capillaries Capillaries are only one cell thick. It's the place of diffusion where substances move into and out of the blood within the organs. And so you can, it's good and helpful for you to know the differences between arteries and veins particularly. And so you, a common question is to com- contrast or compare the differences between arteries and veins. So as I said, uh, arteries carry blood away from the heart. Veins carry blood to the heart. Arteries have a blood pressure that increases as the ventricles contract and decreases as the ventricles relax, whereas veins have a constant, relatively low blood pressure, and it's relative to the arteries. It's still under high pressure. If you cut a vein, the blood will go everywhere, and you don't really want to be doing that. Arteries have a thick, muscular elastic wall. There are some fibres there, but it's thick and muscular, and they have a narrow lumen, whereas veins have thin, relatively inelastic walls. It's more fibrous, and they have a large lumen, arteries apart from the pulmonary artery have no valves whereas veins have valves to ensure that the blood is returned to the heart now as blood flows through the body obviously there can be times where you're carrying out exercise and so you don't really need the blood to be flying to the intestines at that time and so a series of contractions can occur that cause the blood to not be redirected as such you still have blood flowing to the intestines but less blood flows there those those uh, blood vessels will constrict they'll narrow so vaso means vessel constriction means the blood vessels narrow whereas blood flow into the skeletal muscles at that point will dilate so they get wider so the vessel dilates it gets vessel widens and so we call that vasodilation and in that way blood can be moved a uh, uh, different blood flow occurs to different parts of the body during different times as as required Another thing that's interesting is that in order to remove waste products, uh, you have substances such as carbon dioxide and lactic acid, and they are what we call vasodilators. They actually cause the blood vessels to widen. Incidentally, before I didn't say that the uh, arteries are made up of small, uh, sorry, made up of smooth muscle as well as elastin or elastic fibers. Yes, there is some slightly more, less elastic fibers, but most of it is elastic, which is why it can recoil and um, retract to give that beat, um, sorry, pulse motion. Whereas veins, they have less elastic in them and so, as I said before, they're more fibrous in nature so they don't have the ability to reco- um, retract, recoil and retract uh, or expand and recoil, I should say. Just a word about blood clotting. We've mentioned platelets, which are small fragments of Cell and what they are are able to do is they assist or help in blood clotting. They are not the only thing involved in blood clotting, because they're sticky though. uh, To for want of a better word, what they do is they help to plug gaps. So if you get an injury uh, or a cut, they can help form a mesh, which will then help to trap red blood cells, which then dry out and form a blood clot. And so that's what forms a scab on the surface while the skin repairs underneath. And so that. You, they also release blood clotting agents and the complex series of reactions results in the formation of threads of an insoluble protein which we call fibrin and so the fibrin threads, threads form a mesh that traps red blood cells platelets and plasma and this mesh uh, with its trapped material is the clot that I've mentioned before or, or occurs and so that, in that way uh, blood clotting can occur in the body one of the areas that students don't find easy is the lymphatic system. As blood enters the capillaries, the relatively high pressure forces some of the fluid in the blood through the capillary walls into the tissues. And the main function of the lymphatic system is to collect some of that fluid uh, that escapes from the blood capillaries and return it to the circulatory system. And This is done at the venous end of the capillaries. The name of the fluid that is returned is lymph fluid and basically the, the other function, although that's the, main impo- the most important function, is the return of this fluid. The other function of the lymph system is defence against disease. Now we talk more about that in year 12 um, but we'll mention some of the, um, what happens in that process in terms of antigen presentation for example. Now the lymphatic system consists of a network of lymph capillaries joined to larger lymph vessels, and lymph nodes or lymph glands which occur at intervals along the lymphatic vessels. From a Defence Against Disease point of view, I won't say too much other than the fact that phagocytic cells are called macrophages and they destroy um, pathogens and there's a process called antigen presentation that occurs often in the lymph system. And uh, this sensitises the lymph uh, glands which uh, cause the production of B and T cells. But we won't worry about that too much because that's more of a year 12 concept. Now when a person suffers from excessive blood loss we can give them a blood transfusion. But we do need to understand and know what their blood group or blood type is. And so there are two systems that we need to be aware of. One is the ABO blood system, which we'll come back to in a later podcast. And the other is the Rhesus blood group system. And both are important. Now, we talked about the cell surface membrane earlier in an earlier podcast. And on the surface, there are these things which will generate antibodies to be produced. And we call those antibody generators or antigens for sure. Sh- so an antigen is a substance that is capable of stimulating the formation of specific proteins. And those specific proteins that respond to antigens are known as antibodies, and we've kind of mentioned that already. But there are uh, these proteins known as immunoglobulins. Now, immunoglobulins are, come in different types. Now, if you have no immunoglobulins, then you probably will have blood type O. Well, Sorry, you, not you probably will, you will have blood type O. Whereas if you have immunoglobulin A, in your genotype, which is the genetic constitution that is there or the actual genetic information present then your phenotype, your blood type will be blood type A. If you have uh, immunoglobulin B, that means your blood type will be blood type B. Now if you have both of those immunoglobulins on the surface of your red blood cells, you have A and B. So in other words, it's co they both exist in the phenotype both are expressed, so they are co-dominant. And so you'd have blood type AB. Now AB, um, people with AB blood type, are the universal acceptors. That means they can receive blood, in terms of the ABO blood system, from anybody because they recognise A, uh, immunoglobulin A, they recognise immunoglobulin B, and of course if you have blood type O uh, and you donate that blood, then there's no immunoglobulin, so there's no it doesn't invoke an immune response. And so... People with blood type AB are known as the universal receivers, whereas people with blood type O are known as the universal donors because they can give their blood to A, B, or people with AB or or O blood types. Now the other type of blood is rhesus positive and rhesus negative. And again, if you have rhesus positive, it means you have an antigen on the surface of your red blood cell. It was first discovered in rhesus monkeys, And uh, if you don't have a rhesus positive, you have a rhesus negative, then you don't have that antigen on the surface of your um, blood cells. And so when you're receiving a transfusion, you need to ensure you have the right blood, otherwise you're going to get a clump. They're going to agglutinate, they're all going to clump together, and you won't won't get an effective uh, transfusion. What you'll get is a blood clot, which will be particularly bad. Now I'm not going to go into detail about the transfusions, you can read about that in your textbook, there are different types of transfusions, but a transfusion is obviously uh, given to basically replace the blood that may be lost uh, during an accident. Now I appreciate that there is a lot of information in this particular episode and this is a, this is a big chapter, uh, so what I would say to you is ensure that you know the components of blood, What are what are the blood vessels that are present in the blood which is a connective tissue make sure you know the difference between erythrocytes and leukocytes and you know what a thrombos- and the function of each of those and thrombocytes make sure you know the percentages of oxygen and carbon dioxide that are transported and how they're transported around the body ensure that you're able to contrast and compare the differences and similarities between arteries and veins and also capillaries and ensure that you can work out the cardiac output you know also the direction of flow of blood through and uh, what the role of valves are and if you can do all of that then you probably have a pretty good understanding of this particular chapter and i hope that is useful